Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Everybody and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. My name is Mark Ellis. Alongside me, as usual, is Jacqueline Coley, my wonderful co-host. Jacqueline, we're getting right into it today because this is arguably, I look, I've said this from time to time, okay? This is true today. The most anticipated episode of all time because I had not seen this movie. Wow. And you would think this would be like right in my childhood wheelhouse. Definitely. The fact that you missed it, I think puts effort behind you missing it. Like you I wanted yeah, to miss it. I, the, the texts have been exchanged between me and my mom <laughs> as to why I had not seen this movie in the theaters. Unlike our very special guest, who you may know from The Big Thing, I know him from a little show called The Schmodown. Before that, Schmoes No. Before that, we met at the comedy store when we both had dreams in our eyes. Christian Harloff is back. And yellow hair. And I had blonde hair. You had blonde it hair. It was yellow. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, this is why you're here. What? Yeah. I'm not gonna it was go awesome, there. Though. Honestly, I just want to say I'm I'm glad to be here, but this is um I'm sitting across from what 15 years of talking movies. 15 together? years of schmodum. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. 17, right? Uh, who knows? But there's 15. a lot of history across the table for me today, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm just trying to step into it as gingerly as I can. Well, Christian sat down and you immediately felt like. I'm like, I feel like I'm just in a couple's therapy session <laughs> that like I got invited to. And not that y'all are fighting, but just more of like the idea that I'm here. Why do I have this here? Uh, are you oh. listening to, you know what, many people... Particularly women have tuned Christian and I out when we start talking Fact. on a podcast. Let's talk about so, it. Yeah. Also, but, I will keep my wired headphones until I die. I have the unwired ones as well. They're, help, live, they're helpful. They're I helpful. live for my wired you headphones. You go wired too? No, when, I, when I'm in a situation, like if, I, if the things run out yeah. and I'm on a walk or taking the dog and I have them, I use them for sure. I was like that at the gym until I, I was like, I, I like my wired ones. They work yeah. well until I saw, well, I saw somebody wearing AirPods. I'm like, that looks uncomfortable. First time I put AirPods in, I'm like, I'm never going wires again. Sure. Yeah, yeah, never I, ever. I have the wireless. Uh, what are they? The the big mm-hmm. the big clunky ones, but I like I was, them. Yeah. I was gonna say at the gym, I actually prefer the like because they they scream, stay away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the big ones like yeah. this. You know, yeah. that are wireless at the gym. Yeah. It very much screams. She looks like she's about her business. Yes, but at right. some so, point, your trainer has to communicate with you, Jack. When you have to I list. Mean, that's why you hire mm-hmm. them. I mean, when he's there, I I guess I have nothing on, but. Well, the star of this movie definitely had a personal trainer. That's We're going to get true. into that in one sec. But first, thank you, everybody, who came to join us at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica for the American Cinematheque. Great series of presentations yeah. that they had down there. And you and I, you were virtual. I was in yeah. person because I have 
nothing better to do. <laughs> and we presented Dune, not the re- the 1984 classic. Honest- I, I didn't know how to introduce it that night because is it a classic in the traditional sense or is it just beloved cult it's classic? It's sort of like this movie. It had what people thought about it at the time, which is this is not great, but it is like sort of like... It's like once something goes from ick to iconic, and that's really what this is. Like, it was an icky thing to begin with with Dune, and now it's kind of iconic because it is still David Lynch. He knows people still show up for screenings to watch it. Again, I'm sorry I couldn't be there at the Arrow, but I was there in spirit. Yeah, we had a good crowd. It was the American Cinematheque Friend of the Fest 2023, and we were lucky enough to be part of it presenting Dune. You've seen Dune. Yeah, the the 84 one. It's so significantly different from like, because I've, from what the book does and what the new one has clearly Little different than the new one way yeah. different yeah. and because the, you got to remember that star wars was essentially taken from dune because george lucas was a massive fan of, of dune of dune and it's just it was and that's why during that craze when dune came out everyone in 84 84 whatever 83 whatever it was they were like this is going to be like the next star wars yeah. and it was so it was so david lynch and it was just people like what was that <laughs> and and it's, well, so, david, it's so different i don't think so i mean he's talked about it to that the budget and then also what they did to the editing bay like so many of the things that make it awful like that two minute expositional opening um, the strange way they sort of wrap up basically the second half of the book through like him and uh, his version of Chidi making out and like this like green screens a lot of that stuff I think is uh because the producers ran out of money. Very similar to this. Yeah. This was back in a time. It was sort of like the Wild West of the 80s where it's like, if you had $100 million, they would let you make a movie and no one would really ask if you knew what you were doing. Well, you had these, you had all these towns colonized in the West because you're looking for these golden nuggets. You're yeah. panning for gold and the gold lore was presented by Star Wars success in 1977. Then you got a bunch of movies in the 80s. They were fantasy filmed, which is the one we're talking about today. Let me just set the table for you. So <laughs> our editorial shout out, you can go on RottenTomatoes.com and check out the 35 five best fantasy movies of the 1980s. So Princess Bride is at number one, 98%. Um, The Secret of Nim is three. I'm shocked that Flash Gordon is top 10. It's like 83% certified fresh. Awesome. Which is a crime against humanity. No. But this movie is number 32 on the list of 35. Not quite as low as the low bar, which was Ewok's Caravan of Courage. Better than Mm. this. It certainly is. I wonder where Beastmaster falls on this movie. Speaking of beasts, there is one in this film. Masters of the Universe from 1987, checking in at 22% rotten. 41% audience score. This is actually an improvement since we did our book, Rotten Movies We Love. Masters of the Universe was in there, and it was 17%. So it's starting to make the long trek. There's some fans. Towards Eternia, which would be Freshville. I don't think it's going to get there, and I don't think it deserves to. But my opinion isn't as important here. We're going to go to Christian as to whether he thinks that this movie is fresh or rotten and his experience with it. But first, Jacqueline, um, what's this movie about? I mean, it's not about anything that anyone who watched the animated series (laughs) wanted to see, but we definitely take an adventure. Okay, kids, this is Masters of the Universe, which is basically a He-Man story minus the Adam Prince part. We find (laughs) He-Man, he's at Castle Grayskull, and Skeletor, the big bad, has taken over the castle. He is figuring out a way to sort of gather up his troops, or at least the troops that this very modest $17 million budget could cover. So no, (laughs) no cringer, no... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> None of the definitely other Definitely no battle cat. Yeah, definitely no. no battle cat. We're just, you know, Adam and his friends are trying to figure out a way. And of course, there is a magic, you know, space laser type beam that they've got. They've got a key that's supposed to help them. And in the process of escaping 
from Grayskull after Skeletor has taken it over. They lose the key and they land somewhere. And where is this place that they've landed? Earth, of course. And the people that have picked up the key are kids, played by Courtney Cox before Friends. And I forget the other dude's name, but the kids I'll find get it for you. The kids find the key. The the masters of the universe, the little ragtag group of folks, you know, fish out of water type folks live in Earth until they finally figure out a way to get back to Castle Grayskull, defeat Skeletor, and have their big final battle, which looks a little bit less cool as they're not able to do any of the cool stuff at the beginning because they ran out of money. Yeah. In case you haven't guessed it, That kids. would be Robert Duncan McNeil as yeah. Kevin Corrigan. Known yes. as Andrew McCarthy Light. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. And Frank Langella giving it all in a Raul Julia type. I'm just here to have fun. I don't care what y'all think, yeah. but I'm going to have fun role as Skeletor. Best part of the whole movie. Yeah, and, is. That, and that yeah. is uh, Masters of the Universe. Ladies he, that was great. Yeah, it was great. He did it for his kid. You know that? Yeah. So you can tell yeah. he seems like he's the only one that's really having fun. Yes. Because he did it for his kid was like five or six at the time and was running around screaming um, by the power of grace. was like, I got to do this. And he... Yeah. It wasn't his fault. I still think they they portrayed Skeletor as this, re- he, and he, you're, I agree with you. He's the best part of the movie, but they portray him as just this kind of, um, by the books, villain. Right in the animated series, he's telling jokes. He's yeah. much more like Freddy Krueger. Yeah, he's yes. cracking jokes. Yeah, and, very much for that. And if he's pissed off, he tells jokes, and he's maniacal in the way that he does it. Almost like a Pennywise thing to him sometimes. I and have that's a missing. line of text messages from Christian before we were going to watch this movie. Just oh he he just texts me complaints about this movie every yeah. so often because <laughs> this really affected you. I think I know yeah. the answer, but yeah. with that twenty two percent rotten score, maybe I don't know the answer to this. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? About Masters of the Universe. You know the answer to this. No, they're not wrong. This movie stinks. You like 22% as a landing spot. I think it should be lower than that. It's <laughs> it's because if you're going to go under the three out of the five, yeah. it's under three. Who put it at three? As far as campy goes, yes, it's campy, but there's so many problems with this movie. And like you were talking about with the lore, when you started talking about the synopsis of like, they're in gray school, he's got the, the castle, and you're like... How'd we I'm, get I'm here? like, this is great. I'm like, okay, nope, I don't mind that. It's like, okay, great. There's tell no me the but tell me the story in the world. But then you what you said when you're like, and where do they go? Earth. <laughs> the second that yeah. happens, yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's like, you know, we you haven't explained it in live action. It's the first time we're ever seeing Masters of the Universe in live action. Give me the king, give me King Randor, give me give me uh, but they the took lore. that whole storyline out. Everything. Yeah. They, they took, took it all everything out. out. Yeah. And yeah. you can say budgetary reasons. I don't want to hear budgetary. <laughs> I, I didn't want to hear it for Dune in 1984. I don't want to yeah. hear it now because George Lucas made Star Wars on a shoestring budget too. So what like what what what's the issue? I, I what's don't, the problem? I don't think it's the budgetary issues as much as it's an eyes and stomach issue. It's like, yeah, George Lucas was able to do Star Wars on a shoestring budget, but if you're really looking at it, it's all like set indoors and like, and basically like party supply stuff. Like they basically made things that looked ordinary, extraordinary. Right. We went to a place that's a desert with no life whatsoever and we filmed there and then everything else. And then space. And then space, you know? And so I just think that story being on spaceships, (laughs) in rooms. Christian thinks I actually went to space for Star Wars. I mean, mean, look, you want to see where the budget went. Look at what they're doing at the end with Return of the Jedi. Like, that's where the budget is. You you get some Ewoks, you get some Adats. We're we're kicking with gas. Are you on the same page as uh, Sir Harloff here with uh, 22 percent being fair or is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? You know what? I, I hate to say it and I did have fun with this movie. I think that's about right. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, yeah. I don't think it would be lower, but about in that 25, this movie is, let's look who made it. Let's look at their, uh, the quest for peace, Superman. Yeah. 
these people gave us over the top. <laughs> hey, you hey, know, hey, hey. listen, <laughs> but but like, let's look at what they're doing. I love over the top, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? These are not uh, movies that are going up for an Academy right, Award. I right. mean, they did do Barfly. They did do a lot of things, but this studio was really about quick, marketable stuff that they Never figured out how to market. They were What's looking the, at IP. Yeah. What's the IP? Let's yeah. get to the IP. Right. Oh, people love this Masters of Universe. You gotta remember, at the time, Masters of the Universe, the brand was flailing a little bit. It wasn't it it, it peaked in like eighty two to like eighty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, early. So 80s. right. So when they signed up to make the deal, it was like, oh, He Man was at its height, right? But then through that time it started to the toys weren't selling as much and all this too. So Mattel didn't have kind of the same kind of power that especially well that they do right now, obviously. But mm. the the power that they had it wasn't they they just couldn't deliver the product that they wanted to and the budget did hurt it because even though the star wars things i agree they made certain things in star wars just look good because of the limited sets even for the sets that they had in this it just looked bad it like looked like bad. the special effects looked bad the act they dubbed over they wanted to dub over Dolph Lundgren's lines like straight up arnold style mm-hmm. yeah then they watched it like this guy barely says anything anyway yeah, and they just had him it. dub over also, i'm gonna say for the record right now i think rotten tomatoes is dead on with the 22 yeah. percent, yeah. and that's me being generous because you do not want seven-year-old mark in here yeah. talking about this movie because I feel like this movie I feel like I would have given this movie a zero percent as disappointed. a unit but we'll 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 get into your first experience yeah. with it man that sunset is gorgeous grill patio sunset hard to get better than that unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in oh burger time so sit back get comfortable Carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for you I could stay here forever Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Before we go any further, chat about Masters of the Universe, let's turn it over to our good buddy Tim Ryan. He's our review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes. He's going to tell us what critics we're saying at the time of Masters of the Universe release, uh, Tim, I guess be as gentle as possible. Two men's with Tim. It's natural for grown-ups to have a knee-jerk reaction against movies based on toys as cynical exercises in brand strategy, feature-length commercials for products targeting children. But to varying degrees, the Lego movie, Trolls, Bumblebee, and most recently Barbie, which are all certified fresh, worked because they either used the product as a jumping-off point or, ultimately, weren't about the product at all. In 1987, after years of blockbuster sales that rivaled even Barbie, the Masters of the Universe toys began to decline in popularity. Writing for the Associated Press in March of 1987, Tamara Jones chronicled the ways in which Mattel hoped to stem the tide a strategy that included a touring stage production, which, Jones wrote, features acrobats, a black light circus, a roller derby, simulated explosions, and more than 100 costumes, including a few electronic ones. But Jones added that although the live tour, a summer movie, and new toys in the line may guarantee He-Man one last lucrative spin around the galaxy, the universe may already be beyond saving. 
that summer movie would turn out to be a box office disappointment. And the critics of 1987 found Masters of the Universe to be cinema as brand extension, rather than a story that needed to be told in its own right. As Michael Wilmington of the Los Angeles Times wrote, where in Star Wars, the original characters were turned into toys and everything else possible, here the writers reverse the process. And since these toys are superstars, the script tries to remain faithful to some curious vision of them. Masters of the Universe is rotten at 22% on the tomato meter with 27 reviews, and it has a 41% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Roger Hurlbert of the South Florida Sun Sentinel wrote, if not for the superb villainy of Frank Langella, who plays the evil Skeletor, Masters of the Universe would be as barren as an asteroid. However, in a fresh review, Joanna Steinmetz of the Chicago Tribune wrote, everyone knows how the battles will turn out. It's what's between them that raises Masters of the Universe ever so slightly above the mediocre. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Masters of the Universe is a slapdash adaptation of the He-Man mythos that can't overcome its cynical lack of raison d'etre, no matter how admirably Frank Langella throws himself into the role of Skeletor. So that's Masters of the Universe. Let's kick it back to Mark. By the power of Grayskull, he has the power. Back to you, folks. So I'm coming to this as a kid born in 1980. And he, man, if you ask me when this movie came out and the, the couple years prior, mm. Mark, what's your favorite like property? If you if you explain to me what IP is, I'd be like, OK, Star Wars, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mask, they're all fighting for second place. He-Man is number one in my book, especially mm. when it comes to the toys. So I was a huge He-Man fan. I watched the show every day after school. And like I was just so locked into He-Man all the time. I knew this. I remember that being aware that this movie was coming out. And I don't know if I wasn't motivated, if I like begged my parents or just like, uh, we don't think this is worth it. I don't know why that never happened. Christian, you did have the pleasure of seeing this movie in a theater. Yeah. I'm sure your, your, your parents took you and, you're, and they know how excited you are for this thing. Yeah, my dad took me and my, and my brothers because we were massive Masters of the Universe fan. And the argument will always be, and it probably will be people watching, listening to this, will be like, well, what'd you expect from the animated series? It was campy in general. And it was, but the lore itself wasn't. It started from a comic book that was basically a, a not, I'll say a ripoff of, of Conan the Barbarian, but it was a little too serious in tone. So when they took it to the animated series in the 80s, it was definitely campy and there was some silly stuff going on. There's a lot of mythology there. There was, but the mythology is what makes it special. Because I mean, it, you have a prince in drag and a she-ra. <laughs> when, and when you see that stuff, for sure, it's like you can see where people go, what did you expect from the 87 version? But then when you fast forward to the 2002 Cartoon Network version, to me, that's peak of what Masters of the Universe could be. Mm. Um, 2002 one? 2002. It came yeah. out in 2002, and it was just, the, the lore was even so much more of, of really getting to the back history of what the sword meant, the lineage behind the He-Man and all that mm. things. And it was really a special series. They haven't done it, in my opinion, since. But- when I, that's always what I wanted to see, that 2002 version. When I was a kid, that type of lore. So when I go, I'm like, okay, what's Eternia going to look like? What's Orko going to look like? What's all this? Orko was, they couldn't do it because of the budget, mm. for sure. Couldn't do, so they, couldn't do Cringer slash Battle Cat. Yeah. Right. They didn't even do Adam transforming. And yes. that was what everybody really wanted to see. Yeah. The, the movie starts out and he's just dressed as He-Man. The whole time. And, and I was like, are we going to meet Prince Adam at some point? Yeah. Nope. It's just like, this is what this guy does 24-7. No. They... <laughs> This is the funniest thing for what I read. The main reason why they abandoned his princely duties was again. This is the thing where I do think the budget had a lot to do with it. They built Skeletor's throne room in Grayskull, and they knew to make it 
the other side, they would need something equally impressive to show the palace. Yeah. And they couldn't because they put so much money into Skeletor's throne room to the point where they went back to film the final battle. They had already torn that yep. set down yep. and they had to basically film it in like a blank void. Yeah. They started tearing it down at the end of, uh, like when you look at it, yeah. it's, it's so, you can tell. It's, it's, and, it's crazy. I but mean, like, that, that, so, that's one of the sort yeah. of like, you know, you talk about the mythology behind He-Man. Yeah. The lore itself of this movie is that Mattel wasn't paying their half, that they oh, yeah, paid, that, that they brought their half of the production budget late yeah. to the party. And so now it's like, well, we can only do so much with this now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it, and it tell you can you can tell from everything about it, from the special effects to the costumes. Beastman was supposed to talk more. He talked like the dynamic between Beastman and Skeletor was always like he, Beastman always to me played like uh, he was he was like the crazy world Chewbacca to uh, yeah. you know what I mean? To I always Skeletor. looked at him as like John C. Riley to Will Ferrell, yeah, in like yeah. a Ricky Bobby 100%. kind of thing. And they and they were always side to side. And then they, and they start introducing characters like and here's here's his uh, his elite people that he's got yeah. that he's got to fight. And there's these ragtag nobodies that yeah. is, and they're they're awful. They're so trying to recreate the bounty hunter interview scene yes. from Empire Strikes yes. Back, where you meet oh like Bosk and people yeah. like that, and it's just like it. Did, so you're walking out of the theater though. And is it like you and your brothers just like your heads down moping or are you trying to rationalize that, well, we did get to see He-Man and Skeletor? It, it, more, it was more the latter, you know, the, to where it was, uh, my my brothers were young enough that uh, I think, like I was telling, saying before we started shooting, you get to a place when you're a kid, you're watching movies and it's just everything. You don't really pay attention to bad acting and all the, and bad effects. When you're a kid, you're just kind of immersed in it. And my brothers were young enough that they just, they just saw He-Man running around the place. Mm. That's one one of the first memories I have. I'm like, what the hell is this? I'm like, so how old were you? You became a middle aged man. I was that like eleven. Day. Okay, yeah, <laughs> like that. that's about. He that's walked about. out. He walked into the theater an eleven year old. Yeah. He walked out a forty five year old oh, broken man. man. Yeah. Lost the wonder. Yeah. I actually maybe I hit maybe I hit that late because I don't think I had a movie that did that to me until Gem. Yeah, the I was Holograms. gonna say, was there Gem oh. and the Holograms was your was your version of this? Like I literally even said because like whatever the you know. The girl geeks of the early 2010s had a very much like y'all were telling everyone how this movie ruined your childhood. And so to kind of combat that, most nerdy girls were like, well, it didn't ruin mine. And then I saw Jim and the oh, Holograms and yeah. I understood everything that all of y'all said because I was like, this movie has done things to my like internal childhood memories yeah. that cannot be undone. You know what did it for me? Well. You know what? Because again, I sidestepped this experience in the sure. theater and I had never seen this on any media until like yesterday. Do you know what movie it was? Huh. We saw in the theater together. Which one? That, that, oh, uh, no, I don't remember. Which one? It was not Transformers, which we did see in the theater yeah. together, which was, you know, not the Transformers we were hoping to see. I'll probably know right away. when G.I. You... Joe, The Rise of oh, Cobra. yeah, yeah, We're yeah. sitting oh, in the theater, and, like, yeah. him and I, when we, we had been doing Schmoes No by this point. Right. So, you know, that was getting some traction. We're excited to see G.I. Joe. We get to the Grove, and, you know, like, large popcorn. The whole work. First works. of all, seeing a movie at the Grove, but keep going. I miss <laughs> that popcorn to this day. So we're watching it, and, like, I don't even, I think that we used to give each other one pass a year yeah. that we could that we could use to leave a movie early if we were just having such a bad time. Like, hey, man, I know this is our job now, kind of. Uh, I'm using my pass for the wow. year. We both used our pass wow. on G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. Yeah, wow. it, was, it wasn't, it, because it's the same thing. It had a lot to do with lore, because yeah. when, you know, it's a very different, different, different show, different podcast, but for that one, it was similar in where I was a big Marvel G.I. Joe comics fan, and I always wanted to see, like, oh, they explore those stories. But there's something that happens in Masters of the Universe and the other things when people are making movies, and it still happens today, where it happens a lot of times with video game movies, yeah. where they look at the stories and they go, well, I know everyone loved that, 
but what if we did this instead? And yeah. it's like, yeah, but look at what Last of Us did. Like, Last of Us. But they, but they had the guy that made it a part of it. 100%. I think it's a different thing where, and this is a perfect example of this, and it's so stupid that this was what, uh, damn near 40 years ago, and we still have not learned this very clear lesson, which is you should get people to make the stuff that actually like the stuff. Right. Like, get people, because you have- This the, felt very like, we're going to green light this movie yeah. because yeah. the kids like the toys. You know what I mean? Like, Super Mario uh, Brothers, this movie. Also, looking more recently to something like The Witcher. Like, the reason why Henry Cavill left is because he's like, I don't feel like you guys are being right. respectful of the source material. Because, of course, there's things that changed. There was things that changed in The Last of Us. Sure. Characters changed. Just the whole way they did Bill and Frank. They totally changed the way they did that in the story. And it was better. But it was because underneath it, there was a base of people loving it. And you can just tell the only thing they really loved about this was how much money they thought it was going to make. They thought it was going to be another Star Wars for them. That's exactly what they thought. And they I thought think it was self- touted as yeah. that. Yeah. Right. It was going to be the Star Wars well, of the they set up it's the first, it, 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 it had post-credits before yeah, post-credits. There is a post-credits post post scene. I literally was like, the ambition, the yeah. audacity. Po- because, yeah, because they're like, oh, look, sequel time. And like, no one's seeing the sequel. Yeah. And yeah, it's, exact, it's exactly that, Jacqueline. I agree with you 100%. It's just, they, 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 there wasn't that caring. It's like, we're going to make money on this because yeah. Dolph Lundgren, hey, that's the guy that was in Rocky. Yeah. And this is his first big turn, guys. What do you think? Oh, this is what I was telling Mark earlier. So whatever you say about this movie, the person who's most at fault is Sylvester Stallone. Really? So, a couple of things. Did he recommend Bill Conti? <laughs> no, but... Everything that Canon Pictures, which I think is the name of this producing, yes. pro, was doing at that time was because they had signed Sylvester Stallone to basically a long-term deal to make movies with them. And the first movie they did with him was Over the Top. Uh. And it paid him a ridiculous amount of money to do that movie. Sure. They let him have total creative control and it tanked. Did it really do bad? I love that movie so, so much. so, so poorly at the box office and uh. they had invested so much money in it that they actually had to cut the budgets of both Superman, Fries of Peace, oh, wow. and Masters of the Universe. Yeah, Superman 4, I remember being abjectly terrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. And not doing well at the theaters. Yeah. Also, the reason why Dolph is starring in this, Sylvester recommended him. He said, this guy from the movie, you guys should have him get Bill. Yeah. If you look at all of the rocky, sly stones that are put in this, For it's sure. because he was basically signed on very let me, heavy. Let me make this clear, though. I don't have a problem with Dolph Lundgren as he made. Nor no. did I. I. I think that if you did an actual story and they tried to do it where they could find a way to make He-Man and Prince Adam and do that actual story of the history behind the mythology of it, because what they also should have done, what they were just doing is like, oh yeah, kids just saw it. They just want to see He-Man running around with a sword and they mm-hmm. just, they don't care. We'll put it, and it's an earthly adventure. And that way parents who are taking them will, will see, oh, it's earth and they won't be confused. It's like, no, tell the story of like, this kid who finds this thing and he's finding himself and he finds this the the, the sword itself and works with the, I thought the sorceress was great too. Uh, I think Pickles. they thought they were going to get adventures and babysitting. I think yeah. that's what they thought they it were going to get. It was a panic move because I again I didn't even know that they went to Earth in this story. So <laughs> when I when I smell them going to Earth, yeah. I'm like, oh, this feels like a panic move. Maybe because of budgetary reasons, but also just because like it it reminded me of when the the Smurfs movie. Um, the right. beginning of the first Smurfs movie is like in Smurfville or whatever, and they're all walking around singing. And I'm like, this is kind of, this feels like the Smurfs. But then five minutes later, they find some portal. Right. Now they're in the New York sewer. And I'm like, I don't want to see you. It worked in Sonic. Congratulations that Sonic was able to pull the trick off. 
I, th- this this to me would be like if Luke and Han and Leia Could went Earth. to Earth, yeah. and I'm like, I do not want to see them yeah. at, a, at at a guitar shop. Well, remember, Masters of the Universe did go to Earth in the animated series because He Man and She were were from, their mother was from Earth. I think yeah. that was the lore that they yeah. that they but, wanted to build into this backstory was that Prince yeah. Adam himself was a or He Man. It was, was in a, the original script, yeah. yeah, and then they got rid of it, which again. They took seasons to tell us that yeah. as kids. It, took, it was seasons, <laughs> and then it, and it just it's again going back to what Jacqueline said, which I agree with is they don't they didn't care enough about the lore, and they didn't trust in it. And it goes back to and it still happens today with the producers and everything. That things are too inside baseball for the casual fan. But there's a reason why the lore caught on in the first place. We didn't know it when we first started watching it. We liked it because we responded to it. I mean, as if Google doesn't exist. Like, I think there's certain that's different. Like, back in the 80s, if you walked out of a movie confused, like, you can't go to, right. like, Encyclopedia some of the, Britannica. Some in Britannica. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, like, figure out the the things that you didn't know. Not saying that Google should be where you go, but we all do it. The minute sure. you walk out of a movie, it's like, hey, was that real? Let Especially me see. biopics, You know right? what yeah. I mean? Like, we all check behind it. And I think now, when we know that this is a piece, I don't know anything about One Piece at all. Like, I don't know anything right, about that right, animated right. series, but I know if I watch the Netflix animated series and there's aspects of it that people are like Googling about and I don't know. I know that I can like go yeah. online and get on to some wikis and they'll tell me what I need to know. So I think I don't know, man, this is a this is back at a time where they felt they had to force feed everything and maybe they didn't. You know what it felt like? It, I'm not going to give He-Man and its mythology all due respect. I'm not going to say it's like a fine steakhouse, but I'll say it's like the Outback. Okay, Mm. and this movie is like you went to the Outback Steakhouse, you looked at all their many varieties of things you can order, and you ordered off the kids' menu. You just took the thing that's like, that's so recognizable as He-Man, that's Skeletor, and we'll throw Man-at-Arms and Teal in there because those are easy costumes. And look, I did make a list of some highlights, and it's a short list, okay? (laughs) I thought Billy Barty as Gwildor is, he, frankly, Angelo Skeletor ain't the only one giving it everything he's got. That's true. Billy Barty put this movie on his tiny (laughs) little back. And did you see how little they showed him? Like, you can tell towards the end they're running out of the makeup budget because, like, (laughs) he's so involved. It's like you got Q and James Bond at the beginning and at the He's gone. You he's have gone. this tracker like like Dave Chappelle and Half Baked, where he's thinking about how much money he has left when he's out on a date. Yeah. You watch this movie with your with the budget yeah. with twenty two million dollars, and, and you're watching it ticking down. When it's gone I, in the first twenty minutes. I mean, it is. Yeah. I'm yeah. not gonna lie to you. I've spent too much time around movie executives. I start thinking about it now. Like that did not cost the way that they thought it was no, going to no. cost. It that no, way. Well, you said about the outback though too. It's like you and I push back a little bit on the the lore itself. I mean, not being a major steakhouse, they haven't had the right chef to turn it into the big yeah. steakhouse. Okay, well, we could bear this. That's the that's the main thing because like it is it's there. And I'm telling you, when you watch that 2002 series, it's there. Do you not like the new series? Uh the message it's 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 not it's not bad. I I I think people lost their minds for the wrong reasons in the first half of the Kevin Smith ones you're talking uh-huh. about. I think there's a lot of good, really good in it and I think that it it kind of picks up in the second half. I thought that they released it poorly. I thought that by releasing it the first six and then releasing it six after when this particular thing happens and mm. then people were going to lose their minds and they, it was marketed terribly. Got but it. I think it was done I think that Kevin Smith does care about the lore itself. I just the the way that it's done in 2002 it just really gives you an understanding of oh that's what this could be. And th- that's clearly not this movie. Yeah so okay uh, Courtney Cox I thought was, was, was pretty 
you know, I, I think the humans in this are like, uh, oh, and Principal Strickland for Back to the Future yes. shows up. Playing yes. Principal Strickland. Strickland. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, right. I think, I don't know who, it, the woman who plays Monica's mom. Yeah, she's she, in this. Yeah, that's Pickles. Yeah, that's, yeah. Pickles. Yeah. In the ser- in this oh, show, really? yeah, that's her yeah. mom. Yeah. A few- that shows you casting right there. Yeah, she's also she's also uh, Drew Barrymore's mother in The Wedding Singer. That's very and, true. And the scene it, it's so laughably hilarious that this movie came out the same year as Spaceballs, and it's pretty yeah. much the same move that Dark Helmet makes to Princess Vespa, yeah. where he turns into a loving parent. He right. turns into Dark Helmet turns into King uh, Dick Van Patten's yeah. character, and, he, and, and it's the same thing. Fooled you. <laughs> right. Same thing. Yeah, it is, and it's and it's, yeah. There's so many. There's so many. The dialogue too. There's one yeah. scene when when Dolph Lundgren finally, first finds Courtney Cox. He's like, "That's where's the key? Oh, my boyfriend's got it. We gotta go." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so bad. He's oh, like, "Boyfriend, wait, I'm out." Yeah. I want to like. First of all, I'm looking over here. Christian has the picture from our book, like yeah. right here, and like he looks the part. He man. looks the part. He looks the part. Sure. I don't know how you could really fault everything that he's doing in this. But the one thing I will say, they tried to make him out to be like this brainless dolph. The man has a degree in physics. Yeah. Like, he's not an idiot. That's the shame like, is that we've he, come to real, like, even like you yeah. watch like Aquaman, especially uh, Creed 2, yeah. you realize, wait, this guy could act this well the whole time? You know what we I didn't mean? know? Really? It's, it's that whole problem they they always had with like accents, right? Yes. Remember the, the famous quote, because like, Mark Hamill sat across from Arnold Schwarzenegger and told him, listen, you got to lose the accent. You're never going to make it. And he talks about it all the time. And and like you, they think they, right away that people aren't going to respond to it. Used to be associated certain aspects, like if you have a British accent, you're up to no good. Mm-hmm. Like we just assume you're doing some bad stuff. Pretty much, if you have a Latin X accent, we're going to assume that you're Mr. Don Juan. This is I'm giving you movie tropes. I'm not telling you this in real right, life. Right. I do not believe this. Right. Do not cancel <laughs> me on the internet. But any other accent, you're just an idiot. Like that's it, that's all it was. There was no you're accent. From perfect you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was yeah. no yeah. accent that was supposed to like level up your intelligence or right. like even put you on an equal mm-hmm. footing. But it's like so like if you speak French, you speak Italian, you speak uh, Portuguese. Yeah, you're gonna whine the ladies. You're British. Watch you colonize or anybody else. Yeah. You're an idiot, yeah. and that's like really unfair. They because, wanted to dub him over. Yeah. They wanted to dub him completely, and they dubbed his lines with his voice. But they wanted to dub him completely. It's his least favorite role, by the way. Well, I mean, I, I was reading about the shoot, and the shoot was five months long. And it's, Jesus. I, I think that's why you've had like so many casting rumors of who's going to play He Man. Now, it's I don't care if you're if you're a Hemsworth. It's hard to stay in that shape, man. Yeah, Five sure. months, and I think two or three of the months were night shoots, and it's it just wrecks you, dude. It's Five a lot. months to you look gotta like wear that. that. You gotta wear that. You gotta wear that Halloween costume for half a year. I know. And I know that was those chafed. Abs. That was chafed. I know that that was chafed. And the mullet, which I know in the eighties it probably wasn't as bad, but that was still an arresting haircut even back oh, then. That was an, an arresting. That, even that even the monsters had mullets. Yeah, like you if. But like if you were a normal person walking around in eighty seven with <laughs> yeah, a mullet, well, people looked right. People looked. They didn't like judge you too harshly, but it was definitely like. Oh, not, it was a thing. It was a thing. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, like it was. A, yeah. And that's even a bad haircut. It's a bad haircut, maybe now, but like yeah. back then, it was like, oh, you're doing the thing. Yeah. They looked right. at you style. like you were yeah. Gildor like housing a rack of ribs, or, or sort of like if you decided to do a mohawk. It's like right. you're doing something. It's a statement. Yeah, it's it a statement. statement. There you I'm go. Telling yeah. You, yeah. yeah, like they, a few of the monsters had mullets, but uh, what they what they did to what they did to uh, <laughs> a few of them. He's like, 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 let's make sure we note this. We have to the know. monsters had mullets. The monsters too. had mullets because they knew it. Um, but yeah, there was just there was so much that I wish, and then they go back to Grayskull at the end and. 
and they have and and with the, the fight and Skeletor and and he is the best thing in the movie, right? But he's almost like non-existent until he comes back with the legion of the the army, and it's like eh. I kind of like Skeletor. Re- Once he realizes, like, okay, well, we got to do this tussle. Like, we got to play an away game, team. We mm. got. I, I sent a group. They're not doing the job. I got to come to Earth yeah. myself. I was kind of excited by that point. As much as I didn't want them to go to Earth at all, I was like, are we just gonna get He Man and Skeletor have this like huge like like you know brawl at a mall or something like that? And because yeah. he's riding down the street like he's Joker yeah. in Batman a couple yeah. years later, and then we go back to Castle Grayskull. The sorceress by this point is turning into Gina Davis from Beetlejuice yeah. at the end, where she's just like <laughs> just crumbling before our very eyes. Like we gotta save her. And so there's a little bit of investment from there, I guess, if I was a kid watching this. But, you know, I like Tila and Man-at-Arms's, like, like their father-daughter kind of relationship. Tila's got a nice moment where she comes and saves the day, and yeah. she actually has words to say. And she says, I'm <laughs> woman-at-arms, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. she's ready to go. Yeah. But the best part about this movie, and again, you guys know I look for this kind of stuff, is there is a lot of action that takes place at a guitar shop, because oh, that's yeah. a cheap location. Uh, yeah. And both of our favorite bands are referenced. Really? Doors and Van Halen? There's a poster for the Doors, okay. and then there's a drum set that, that's in the background of a lot of shots, and it's got the famous Van Halen stripes on it. Wow. But, yeah. but what a worthless storyline. With when he oh, when he walks yeah. in, when he walks in with the guy the the guy who's oh this is this this Japanese this this I, that's what I know it's like why is that guy there and he's wrestling Strickland it's like what are we doing it's like show me Beast Man biting someone's face because they can't afford it because that guy's I know that guy's a two hundred dollar day rate okay so let's make that guy have I mean I'm just in that costume uh, wait, wait, oh let me God. let me actually talk to something besides the budget I'm just over here like a miser when they're running about, around like, the uh, the enchantment under the sea dance blown up oh, so and bad. it's like them just but it's always around. like that move that the monsters do when yeah. it's bad monsters are like. It looks like I'm trying too hard to entertain kids at a library so who aren't bad. responding. Yeah. It's like it's like every extra from the cantina scene got loose. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's like, well, you didn't make the cut to Star Wars. Well, we have another project for you. I mean, now. if I was in the background of that movie, if they were touting it the way I'm sure they were touting it on set, you need to be like, I'm gonna be memorable in the background of this. This is gonna live forever. Uh. So I'll ask you this because I again I think we need to in, like instill this on the podcast is like the Raul Julia Award, which is this yeah. idea of like mm-hmm. you're giving it all in a movie that you know is beneath you. Like the, we'll call it the Archie you, Manning Award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never yeah. On a good Raul team. Julia, yeah. Street, yeah. Street Fighter. Yeah, Street yeah. Fighter. <laughs> yeah. Also, like um, thinking of another one, um, uh, Alan Rickman in Prince of Thieves. You know what I mean? Like they might as well. Hey, be that's a, a that's an out and out great movie. You know what I mean? It's a good movie. It's a fantastic it's a movie. One. Thank you. Come on. That's why I brought Min- back up minus the accent, but I like it. <laughs> I'm not even gonna. Speak I can't to believe that. if you had told me what movie would cause a divide on us. Between this show. I'm singing a whole Brian Adams song right now if I have to. I it's mean, I, the music the is great. The the 90s. Like the quintessential version. Like this is just that's like open, the girl who picks the car that's like cute that can't move ten feet. That's y'all repping <laughs> Prince of Thieves. Y'all like the way it looks and you like the way it makes you feel. Yeah, that's right. But we know it's bad. It's anyway, it's for my child. So what is another one like this? Like, yeah, what's a performance where they just? What's a performance? Just, who would you give? Movie. Yeah, oh, but man. you would give the Raul Julia Award to it. Like I'm gonna give. Oh, I am asking a trivia style question to yeah. these. I know. No, it's true. I, know. <laughs> I know. We're both. Our minds don't work the way they used to. No, not that. Way. I have to really go through because those. if we call it the Raul Julia Award or like as I was like Archie the Manning, Manning Award, the, yeah. then I, you know, you, I think you probably have to go to something like uh, I remember. I believe it was Louis Gossett Jr. 
giving it his all in Jaws three. Oh, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, because I and I I think the humans really did play that one straight. Mario Van Peebles in Jaws Michael the Revenge. Kane. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yeah. I was gonna go. Yeah. Michael Caine. I would have said yeah. Michael Caine in Jaws the Revenge would yeah. be one. I would say honestly, Nicolas Cage and pretty much anything or, that he did yeah. in that in that run. Mm-hmm. Sure. But uh, yeah, he did that movie. Uh, I want to say Bangkok Dangerous. Oh my god! Yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, movie. he's doing the yeah, things. He's, sure. yeah, he, movie's he, terrible. He's yeah. doing the things in that movie. Yeah, he can. I mean, that was like you know you have these and what Dolph Lundgren ended up being in some of these mo- like these direct to mm. you know video back in the day yeah. kind of movies that now. Folks like Nick Cage and Bruce Willis, like the former A-listers, like like became famous for doing later in their career. But like as it, like I just wanted what kind of thought experiment, what kind of career could Dolph Lundgren have had? It, and he's got he's had a great career. But like if this thing is successful and they honor the lore and the mythology, and it becomes right, Star Wars, yeah, and it becomes like Star yeah, Wars, like holy different. crap! Look at what this guy's doing. He's pushing, yeah, he's pushing to the next level, right? Or, he's, or at least he's. Paying, he's, he's he's doing all right for himself, but but still very different bills. Yeah. I think you have to cover this. over because again, they were trying to set up an action empire, and yeah. if they set up the action empire that they expected to, I do think his career would have been vastly different. But yeah. I love what I call the late chapter pretty boy stuff. Like I am so excited to see what like Josh Hartnett does next. If you oh, guys yeah. saw him in yeah, Oppenheimer, in that like movie. now that he's aged up, right, and he's yeah, not right. the young pretty boy. Right. Like there's a whole different. There's no pressure on you now. It's you know fun I mean? to find those levels in people, <laughs> yeah, right? Like because I, 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 great example because I remember I always thought he was fine. Yeah. He's fantastic in that film. He's fantastic. And I always knew that he was a good actor because yeah. I like. Oh, here's another one. I don't think Black this Hawk is Down. A, the Faculty. Oh, that's okay. a. I think that's a good movie. I was gonna go Forty his, Days of Night. Forty days and yeah. nine. No, 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 no. That's thirty days, days and forty nine. Forty days and forty nine. The one where is the one I and you yeah. say that I have the dirty is, mind, yeah, yeah. and you go to the sex comedy. Okay, yeah. here we are. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No. Why we work? That's why we work. But no, that's like another example where I've always thought Penny Dreadful is where I really saw that's him what kick into it, it. But yeah, kick into his like secondary gear. But yeah, no, I think. Um, you can age into like a totally different type of actor. And sure. I, I think we don't like to think about this, how many actors are pigeonholed by their just physical appearance yeah. into roles that don't get it. Because I think that Dolph Lundgren shows he's a much more thoughtful actor. But when you mm-hmm. look the way that he looks, I can see it in the 80s being like, you got the muscles, kid. We're going to put you in the He-Man costume. You would never imagine how he's a he's a genius. Like yeah. he is a certified genius. And you tell people that and you're like, wait, what? Because because he's got three lines in Rocky Four. Exactly. And, yeah. And, and yeah. And there, he's got a moment with man with man at arms. Like I'm trying to like just grasping at straws to find anything I can with this movie that, that works. But there's a scene in the uh, the, the guitar store <laughs> With him and Man at Arms, they're like behind, like dodging yeah. blazers and stuff, and like they, they crack a joke to each other. I'm like, where's this bit? Right. Yeah. Like, 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 where's this relate? Like, you guys been in so many battles right. together. Like, give me. Otherwise, it just looks like, hey, you three who've never met, we're gonna put you on a team with Billy Barty, and we're gonna see how you do against Skeletor and his yeah. troops. And going back to that too, they have these this silly moment where Gildor, or whatever, he he goes and he Gwyndor, what who cares? Yeah. And he goes and he Gwildor. and he gets the uh, the chicken. And yeah. he's got, and they're sitting there, and then oh, it's so weird how they put these meat on their bones. Uh, oh yeah, this, this used to be an animal, and then they. I was like, what? What statement are we making right now? Yeah. Why? Because it, it's the only time it ever appears of anything that Eternia was like that. They don't eat things in Eternia. It shows that Man meat. of Arms has been to more places than his daughter. I know, yeah. but it's yeah, it, it, she's yeah. still learning in the ways. But then she becomes Silly. a woman at arms by the end. Yeah, you know what I think is so Beautiful funny. Moment. 
This movie is a great example that if you find the right director and make just subtle tweaks, you can literally shoot almost this exact same movie and have it be great if you do that. And let me give you the example. Think of Masters of the Universe, everything that it does, okay. and tell me how drastically different it is from Thor. Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> and yeah. like, right. For tell sure. me what is, is just so drastic. It's like, if they would have just made it more of the prince type story— yeah. And just a few tweaks here and there, you could make an entirely different movie that would have been just as cool. It's a fantastic, fantastic example because it's exactly what Thor is. <laughs> Thor starts off uh, in his place and then he goes to Earth, right? Yeah. He, but it's not, and there are some. It's the least campy one, I think, yeah. out of all of them. Well, maybe the, maybe the dark, dark world, but either way, it still plays in a good balance of like taking the lore serious and being able to set up Asgard into this kind of fantastical world and yeah it's a great example and it's always kind of what I was hoping was that kind of your pitch because you have some you you have some insider knowledge of this and how hard of a property Masters of the Universe is to get to the big screen live action in a way that like kind of honors the mythology so when I met you you were working at Silver Pictures yeah and you got a hold of this treatment somehow? So, well, there's a, it, it, you, you're aware of this. So there's a thing called turnaround in, yeah. in the studios. So basically when they send scripts around that have been going around, you said this isn't turnaround, which means that the, the company that had it is no longer licensing it anymore and it's going to be a turnaround. You can buy it if you, if, if you want, right? So the script was going around for He-Man Masters of the Universe in like 2005, 2006, something like that when I was there. And it was the John Woo one. Mm. Um, and it was terrible. <laughs> I mean, it was terrible. He Man and Tila talking about getting cheeseburgers and just like awful. You imagine John Woo getting a hold of uh, Dolph Lundgren's hair in this? Because yeah, remember, we talked Mission there Impossible Two, and it's nothing but hair shots. There yeah. would have been a lot there of been mullet doves shots, yes. and mullets, doves, doves and mullets. mullets. Well, so we got a hold of it, and I and because it was because of this movie and because of the '80s cartoon, it was very hard for me to get this taken seriously because of the script as well. So I had the script, and I was like. We need to get this. We mm. need to, we need to take this. And they're like, this script is terrible. It's like this script is terrible, but it's the lore behind it. That's what that's what's important here. Mm. Um, and so I took it at the time. Uh, Susan Downey, Robert Downey Jr.'s wife, was running, and she she didn't she fair for looking at the script. She didn't get it. She's like, it's got to be worked. And to Naveed Makalarji, who was there, was like, I think there's something there, but I don't know. So I went to my friend over at Village Roadshow, which was financiers and stuff, and my buddy Fred Klein, who was there at the time, was like, I. think... I get it. I don't know if um, if Dana Goldberg, who was there, is going to get it until it's reworked. So I took it to Legendary, and there's a whole thing there with this guy that was working there, um, who we worked on it for a bit. And then the guy was like, oh, well, we're working on Conan, so I don't know if that's going to be something we can do. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, okay, fine. So then I started working with these guys, Jenison and Strickland, who who they, they brought on um, – they had done. They got their script picked up for Wonder Woman, mm. and they were, and it was that's a whole other story. But they they basically replaced Joss Whedon's script, so they were there, and we brought them in to start working a treatment. So then we get a phone call. Justin Marks, fantastic writer, did Top Gun Maverick, and he's I, I love Justin. Marks. I love him already. Yeah, I want to start with that. Um, and his man, his agent called up and was like, "Hey, Justin Marks is working on a on a treatment with." The guy I pitched to Legendary. Oh. Ah, skunk. Right? <laughs> so the guy basically took what I was pitching, took it, uh, Justin Marks, again, making it very clear, had no idea of this. Justin this Marks is very is, Hollywood. This, yes, is very, very like, Hollywood. this is a very Just, typical Hollywood story. Yeah, you tell very, someone to pitch, and then you hear they're pitching it somewhere but, else. But Jacqueline, for, for, for like weeks, working it with him days for weeks, yeah. a, a real, uh, if I can say, scumbag move, right? Yeah. But again, making it very clear, Justin Marks, brilliant, did his thing, comes in, um, 
And then we had a whole different meeting with all three of them. And I was like, I see what you did, guy. And then he brought me in to kind of be a part of it as well, too. And Silver took it. So we took the project and we started working on it. But as you were mentioning before, though, what happened there is I had all the ideas of what I, the reason why in the first place. And so did Justin Marks and so did the skunk. You know, like all, all of them had the ideas of what it was fantasy meets magic. Yeah. But then the executives in the suit started getting involved. And I will never remember, never forget this. One of the, the execs at Warner Brothers who was like, no, we're never going to do this. And then once it got picked up, he was giving a tour to people that were going to help put money into it. And he's like, oh, this is Lazernia, calling it attorney Lazernia. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. And like, and it was, and then Mattel was getting involved. They didn't like the direction. And I was like, I left the company. I'm like, I'm out. And then it fell apart. It, it continues to fall apart. It continues to fall I mean, it's, it's almost like yeah. the Mattel as portrayed in the movie Barbie would have been the perfect people to pitch He-Man I'm going to tell y'all. Because they're all about the patriarchy. I'm going to tell y'all some inside it's called baseball on this Mattel thing. One of the main reasons why I think that got as far as it got is at the same time they were ramping up that Barbie script. Mm-hmm. After it, because same thing with you. Yeah. It has to fail with so many people like you because like, um, not saying that I thought this Barbie would be better, but like there were four Barbie scripts that mm-hmm. happened before the Greta yeah, the Amy was, Schumer one, right? There was the yeah. Amy Schumer one. Right. There was one prior to that that was just like, I think a, a regular writer that had gone through pretty far with Mattel. And then Mattel had their own treatment way back when, when they were making the G.I. Joe movies. Yeah. So those were all different versions. What ends up happening towards the end is after so many people walk away from a project, they eventually just let somebody do it the way that they want to do yeah. it. And it was the same time that E1 was ex- imploding. Mm. And so they kind of got to like skate through the fact that both Warner Brothers, their daddy, and Mattel, their daddy, were having their own internal problems. And so by the time they were getting towards the end, everyone was like, oh, wow, y'all actually gotten pretty far with this and it's pretty good. So maybe we just don't need to get in Leave your way along. and yeah. mess it up. Yeah, and like that's, 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 that's the goal. And they still tried to mess it up towards the end. That's yeah. why you... I thought it was so funny that they had these moments where you have the Greta talked about this Mattel executives flying on set because they're worried how something is going to film. That means you haven't read the script. Right. Because yeah. they've already <laughs> talked about like the stuff that you guys would be upset about. And if you're trying to come in at the last minute, that means you've just something's gotten past. You, well, Mattel sir. tried to do that in this movie, too. Yeah. When when I mean, maybe they should have gotten more involved, but they but they were worried at first how He-Man was going to be portrayed. They didn't want him cursing, they didn't want, which. I understand because it was the the brand and they wanted to make sure he wasn't portrayed in a bad light and they protect him over their character. Yeah, they didn't want He-Man to kill anybody on yeah, screen. Yeah, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem yeah. with that. Like it's it, when it no. comes, like it's but I think that this project in general has just such a bad kind of stigma on it now. This movie doesn't help it. The as and as much as we love the 80s animated film, it like that was the thing though, Jack. When I would pitch this initially to try to get that John Woo thing. They're like, that's the thing with the purple tiger and the pink yeah. prince. And I'm like, it, but it's not just that. Yeah, you I'm mean, like, well, yeah. look past it. Look at the lore. I mean, but maybe that's why it's on animated and it's on Netflix now. Like, I do think that there are certain things that as much as I know they translate into live action, that maybe it's just, like, there is a wonder to He-Man that I just don't know the more realistic it gets, would you enjoy it? I would tell you, to watch that 2002 series. All right. That's, that's where it changed for me because like, I, cause I, I think the argument would have been harder for me to have if I couldn't say what I just said to you, because the opening scene alone where how they play Skeletor and the lore behind 
how He-Man gets the sword and how it's a lineage, almost like uh, it's been happening for years. And when Adam finally, it's almost like the sword kind of calls to him in a reason, mm. like it chooses it. And it's been happening for years and years and years that there's been this warrior of He-Man that it transforms. And it has all the lore. It has, even though it takes its own liberties of certain things it wants to do, but it also still the familiar trap jaw and, you know, uh, merman, they're all there. Is it's, Shira there? I think that she shows up in a different thing, but she and she shows up later as she did in the original series, and I think that's that's the play on it. Is all right, know. you got homework. Your your final lot the next couple of weeks, next couple of months. You got stuff to watch now. You got I, homework. I have stuff to watch anyway. Yeah. I'm not gonna yeah. lie to you. I'm already Dr. Harloff, deep so. in uh, yeah. in uh, awards movies, but I actually will check that out. Covered yeah. a lot of ground today. The last question is a quick trivia question. So this movie came out in August of '87. It was third on its yeah. opening weekend. Can you tell me which James Bond movie was number one? License to Kill? Great guess, but no. Oh, man. She's got the right Bond. Timothy Dalton. No, I don't. Uh, I can't remember. The Living Daylights okay. was repeating uh, as number one. There was another mo new movie opening that week that just beat He-Man, and that was Stakeout. Oh, Richard Dreyfuss. I love that movie. Stakeout. And Emilio Estevez and Maybe Stakeout did deserve to take the crown. And it got a sequel. Stakeout 2. Another Stakeout <laughs> with those two and Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, my God. Which I saw that in the theaters. Wow. But I, I didn't see Masters of the Universe. I think I've seen another Stakeout. It's I don't good. know if I've seen Stakeout. Though. Fun movie. Stakeout's good. That's Fun movie. Madeline Stowe. Oh, um, yeah. Do, Brian, do we still hit music or we just we just, we just just wrap it up? God, this is so streamlined now. All right. Well, uh, Christian, it's nice meeting you. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> Thank you for uh, Thank you. not just your take on this movie, but kind of your shared history with yeah. Prince Adam of Eternia, yeah, yeah. who for got sure. shortchanged. I hope you feel like you didn't get Prince Adam in this show where you no. got to speak your piece about Masters of the Universe once and for all. What's the budget? <laughs> <laughs> not enough. Not enough. I think that was the one thing we've established. Unlike not Patel, we pay, we pay on time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so apparently they were they like had a sequel greenlit to this and they had started some pre-production but then um they couldn't afford the Mattel rights anymore yeah. because this movie didn't do well and so uh the any of the props and costumes that they had they were going to put towards the, the the next He-Man movie went instead to Cyborg. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, fun little yeah. nugget. So yeah. everybody go back wow. and rewatch the Van Damme classic Cyborg. Um, Jacqueline, we had a great time at the, well, I had a great time in person. You were there virtually, but virtually. I'm sure you loved being at the uh, American Cinematheque I'm event. glad we got to go. And I think, uh, hopefully, uh, the folks at American uh, Cinematic want to invite us back. I would love to go back. Great house, great, you know, yeah. fun introducing Dune and all that stuff. So um, until the next time we meet, Christian, what are you working on? You got the Big Thing podcast. You got your own network. You're rapidly yeah. approaching 100K subscribers. Yeah, we're close to it. We were at 90,000, and we've been launched for just a little year and a half. Nice. And yeah, and so we're, we've got shows now five days a week. We were doing four originally, but it's five days a week, and reviews and reactions and all that stuff, too. Uh, very exciting stuff. Jacqueline, we have coming up on the show. Next up, what movie? Is this the one where we're getting playfully racist between the Asian and black racist? <laughs> that is exactly how yeah. you would frame playfully, this movie. Playfully yes. racist. Uh, it is. We're gonna we're gonna get in the car and go to rush hour. We're going to rush uh, hour. Yeah. Way back in 1998. Until then, for Jack and Coley, Christian Harloff, the whole team here, I am Mewi Mark Ellis, saying, "Good journey." <laughs> Oof! Don't do it. <laughs> no. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. 
New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.